here we go on a Monday night. One week from now, we will know who your new Super Bowl champion is. What to talk about tonight. It's time for Ira on Sports 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. And Ira, this is typically, despite what the media will tell you, and it's especially apparent this week with no real media week at the Super Bowl, but this is a slow time for sports. But not here on Ira on Sports. We've got plenty to discuss. We're waiting on a call from, you may not know this name, but this is going to be one of the most fun guests we've ever had. His name is Nick Bogdanovich. He's the headlines maker at William Hill Sports. Tell us about him and what we plan to ask him. Well, we'll just ask him about why the line right now is at three and, and where, does, where the money is going on, whether people are betting for Tampa or Kansas City, and also with like the point spread in terms of the over and under of the games and a lot of also the prop, the prop bets in the game. So like people bet like how like heads or tails. That's yeah. like a big bet. Is is it going to be is the coin flip going to be a heads or tails? So. It's one of the things I think that draws people that, you know, not everybody that's a big sport or not everybody's a big sports fan like us. They're a casual sports fan. And they want to make cute little bets like that. and just have, It's why people love Super Bowl boxes. There's no thought goes into it. You put money <laughs> in, it gives you something to watch the game. I saw you know, stats today talking about um, you know, Tyreek Hill's yards versus how many points the Miami Heat score. It's amazing the stuff that they come up with. You can bet on anything. And think about the job it takes for a lines maker to actually handicap that. It's really amazing. Uh, we're going to ask him how he got into the business also. <laughs> because that, it is definitely that the Miami hits the how many uh, the yards versus Tyreek Hill versus the Miami Heat points that night. So it'll be crazy. And you could score from 80 to 130 points. And that should be right where Tyreek Hill is. So it's just crazy to think about all the uh, ridiculous stuff they come up with. And then we're also going to have Dal Maxville on. And Dal is a guy. We've had him on the show before. And. I'm a baseball purist. I like old school baseball. And this guy just embodies old school baseball. And we got a lot to talk about with him. Well, Dow is different. He played 16 years at Major League Baseball and hit uh, like eight, nine home runs. <laughs> six, and, I think it was. Uh, six home runs. <laughs> and, then, and Hank Aaron had 755. But, so we're, he's going to talk about, he played with, played. he did not play with Hank Aaron, but played against him. Played with the Cardinals when Hank Aaron played for the Braves. But also they worked together in the Braves organization for a bit. Mm -hmm. um, Dow actually went on to become the Cardinals general manager. But there was a point where he worked with the Braves. So it'll be interesting to have him, his insight with uh, Hank Aaron. Yeah, no, Dal is great. We've had him on before, and he should be really interesting. We'll do that right about uh, 7.45 here on Ira on Sports. All right, Ira, let's get into it. I, I, it was weird not having football, but what we do on these two-week layoffs like this is just pick apart every single aspect of both teams. There's a lot going on in football we'll talk about later, but let's get into the Super Bowl, and this is going to be... Everyone's calling it the greatest quarterback matchup of all time in a Super Bowl, and they're probably right on that. Well, I think it's a it's I'm so excited for this game because this is like one of those we talk about historic. We never saw uh, Jack Nicholas and Tiger Woods play each other. Yeah. So it was like it just didn't happen. And and you really never saw LeBron play you never saw LeBron play Jordan. So yeah. it was like this is our chance to see Thankfully, Mahomes is good early, and, and Brady's hung around, so we can see something. And people who make this comment, if Brady wins the Super Bowl, there's no way Patrick Mahomes is ever going to be considered the greatest of all time. If a 43-year-old can beat you when you're in your prime, it's going to be hard for Patrick Mahomes. I don't care if he wins eight Super Bowls. No, it's going it's, it's to be over. So this is a chance for Tom Brady to, like, we talk about this in tennis with Djokovic and Dolan Federer, when they're the best of all time are playing each other, but they're all probably around the same ages. This will be, this is like an epic Super Bowl for the ages. Uh, and uh, but no, I'm, I'm. I think it's great to see Brady and Mahomes. Very excited for this. So let, let's start getting into the game here. And this is something you brought to my attention. And I don't think a lot of people are, are thinking about is how good the Bucks defensive pass rush looked against Aaron Rodgers versus the Kansas City offensive line, which is as hobbled as it's been maybe in since Patrick Mahomes got there. The Bucks, this defensive line was not healthy against uh, the Chiefs. The Chiefs now are the one. The offensive line isn't healthy. And I, I want to say this is where the game's going to turn. This is where the game. Shaq Barrett, Jason Pierre-Paul, Dominic Sue, Devin White, they were tied fourth in the NFL with 48 sacks. But I just don't even like the stats with the, the Bucks. They just got, they've been playing so much better the last few weeks. And you saw what they did to Green Bay. I really like, you know, the problem with the Chiefs is Eric Fisher is their left tackle. He tore his Achilles against Buffalo. He has, last year, they were 11-0 when he played. He was out um, eight games, and they were 4-4. Four and four. So yeah. they're four losses. I mean, he is so important to this team. And with he's hurt, and also Michael Schwartz, who's 
the right tackle. He's been out since week six, and they've been they had two COVID opt outs before the year started. So they're going to start Mike Remmers. Uh, they're going to start this Andrew Wiley. They're going to start Austin. They, their offensive line is a complete mess, and they're going against a defensive line from the Tampa Bay Bucks. And I don't care how great. Patrick Mahomes is, he's not going to have time to throw the ball down to Tyreek Hill. That's the key. If he doesn't have time to throw those long passes, this is where the defensive line, I, this this game could be won on Patrick Mahomes just not having time to throw the ball. It, and how many times did you see it in the Green Bay Packers game where someone, it's just too much force to block everyone, and Shaq Barrett or JPP just shakes his guy, and before you even get through your three-step drop, you've got a jersey, you got a helmet in between your numbers. If that happens to Patrick Mahomes, this is going to be a long night for the Chiefs. The the Chiefs' offensive line is worse than the Packers, and also what's going to happen to them is they're not going to be able to run the ball either. So yeah. this offense, I, look, I'm, I'm making this prediction. I, the Chiefs' offense is going to have a problem. Like, I think they are going to be in serious problem in this game. Now, this is a team, the last <laughs> the last time they played, they jumped out. I was at the game. Of course, they yeah. played it was, uh, eight weeks ago, and 17 nothing, And they were out. They were, it was they the could, Tyree Kill. And the Tyree Kill. He had 200 yards, uh, 203 yards in the first quarter with two touchdowns. But the key part of that game was they were at a 17-0 lead. They were 27 at the half. But they were outscored 17-7 to by the Bucs in that second half. The Bucs figured it out. And they asked Tyreek Hill, like, what happened? You had 200 yards the first half. We should end up with 800 yards for the game first quarter. And yeah. he said, I got tired. But really what then he said, well, they put Carlton Davis on me. They put other covers on. And this is where I think the benefit the Buccaneers to having played the Chiefs earlier. That they're not going to be shocked by the speed of a Tyreek Hill. They've already had that knockout punch. It's it's like when you go into the ring and see something like that. And I think that's going to be key, is that they might be able... And they also got Antoine Winfield back in the secondary, Carlton Davis. Like, the like now the Buccaneers, with Vita Vea... Uh, I forgot to mention his name on the defensive line. Like, they are set on defensive line. I think the Chiefs are going to actually struggle offensively. No, I mean... I agree with you, and and by struggle offensively, that could mean not score forty, like <laughs> like we see them do almost every week. But how they stifled the Packers so badly, and I think you're right in that sense, Ira, that they've trailed badly to this team before, so they've made all the adjustments. They moving, uh, changing Carlton Davis over to Tyreek Hill. They've made these adjustments before, so they don't have to learn on the fly and get roasted for 200 in the first quarter like they did just two months. Right, ago. and I think that that's crucial. And then on the offensive end for Tampa Bay. I, I expect that's where I expect the running game. I expect Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette. The first game, they didn't. They only they threw. They ran the ball thirteen times. This is where I said where Bruce Arians was co- taking over the game from Tom Brady. It was just totally ridiculous. It was thirteen carries, forty-one passes. I think you're going to see a much more even uh, pass-run distribution, and I think Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette are going to have some huge runs, some big plays. Uh, I think this is going to be. I, I'm really, and now they're going to have now Antonio Brown is healthy back in the team. Scotty Miller. Remember the last game, Rob Gronkowski had six catches for 106 yards. I expect him to have a huge game. Cameron Break, the other tight end, in four catches. So I'm telling you, I think the Chiefs are going to have trouble on defense. I, I, I when I'm breaking down through the whole week, I was like, I'm going to have to talk myself into Tampa Bay winning this game. I don't have to talk myself away. They're going to win. Tampa Bay's going to win this game. Like I think they're the better team right now at this time. And I think the Chiefs. Now look, yeah, Patrick Mahomes. Anything can happen. Tyree Kill, Kelsey all this explosion but I just really like I think Kansas City hasn't played a defense like this all year they're going to see the best defense they played and they're going to go against the best the smartest quarterback they played except when they played more earlier <laughs> it's going to be a great game we'll keep this up 7-11 Iron Sports True Oldies Channel I'm Mike Balsamo about 7-45 Dal Maxville will join us uh, we're also waiting on trying to get on Nick Bogdanovich the heads, headlines maker at William Hill Sportsbook um so Let's talk a little bit more about uh, this one just because I, I, I want to talk about some of the matchups. And I think that Tr- Kelsey, I've been saying it on this show for eight, nine, ten weeks. I think he's the most unguardable person in football. You can, you know, forget about Tyreek Hill being ridiculously fast. That, that, that's awesome. They've got that aspect. But Tyreek Hill is a mismatch for every single linebacker and defensive back in the league. And over the last couple of weeks, I, I can't remember him not having 100 yards and a touchdown. I anticipate to see that again. Right. And then and Kelsey had eight catches for 82 yards. Kelsey, I saw him in two games live. So I went to the Kansas-Tampa Bay game and the Dolphins Dolphins, game. And his ability to get off this line of the scrimmage and just go to a position, he's strong and fast. And that's what makes it, and he's smart, strong and smart, fast and smart, and get open. And that's where I think, I mean, he might in a game like this, when Mahomes now is getting pressured, isn't able to throw the ball. I mean, Kelsey might have 15 catches. Like, I'm it, not could be, be surprised. it could be through the roof. And then he also knows how to run after he catches the ball, he gets the yards after the catch. So Kelsey. I mean, if the Chiefs end up winning this game, he might be the MVP of the game. If he has 15 catches for 250 yards, they might give Travis Kelsey the MVP. One thing I would be watching out for if I'm Bruce Arians and the Bucks is the little trick plays that they run. And how many times is he... 
Uh, Kelsey had two, they should be rushing touchdowns, but they're considered passing. But it's just a little underhand from Mahomes inside. They do a lot of trickery. And I know that Bruce Arians is known for the big ball, but he's been relying on Tom Brady lately. And Tom Brady's not about trickery. He wants to beat you with his skills. I think that Casey's going to pull out a lot of stops early and often. Oh, yeah, certainly. That Nicole Hartman running around yeah. and reverses. They run these reverses constantly. And Mahomes... Because he can move around so well, it helps them do all these different yeah, you things. You gotta have a linebacker he, account for it. Right. He ro- <laughs> he rolls left and then they throw right and they are smart. Now it'll be interesting when you see one of these plays, just be careful that when you have offensive linemen in different places, they do a lot of the reverses. What happens in reverse? You have uh clips and holdings and those things. So you might see this too. I, I predict like a huge play in the game that Chiefs have, and there's gonna be like called back, you know, eighty yard touchdown call back for holding, because you're gonna have different offensive linemen try to do different things. Um yeah, the key is I mean, Clyde Edwards Hilaire did not have that great a game at rushing. I mean, the Chiefs did not really run well against Tampa, and I thought I said they Tampa's defense, and they didn't have to. Tampa's defense is much better than that was before. Um, this is going to be, and then you, and you, and you rest about, you know, the other thing is about turnovers. You have guys like Brady, who turned the ball three times in Zagor, but tr- traditionally is not going to turn the ball over, and you're not going to see Mahomes turn the ball over, so you expect a fairly clean game where turnovers aren't going to be a major difference in this. I should have done the uh, or done the research before, but the game between, you know, three years ago with the uh, Pats versus the Eagles, where they can Combined for over a thousand yards, I think it was like five sixty passing for Foles and five fifteen for Brady. I'm not going to be surprised if we eclipse that today and get to eleven or twelve hundred yards between these two because it's going to be a shootout. And I think Ira, whichever team can get their game plan down first, is going to win. If if the Chiefs go in and have two three and outs, and the uh, Tampa's able to take two seven minute drives and score. I know we've seen the Chiefs come back from 14 nothing a bunch of times, but I think it's going to be really difficult in this game with their defense and just with, like I, like I said, I think whichever team is able to institute their philosophy first is probably going to come out with a win, and Andy Reid's very good at doing that. Right, right. I mean, that's what it's, you have two coaches, and again, what I said about Tampa Bay, I love that Tom Brady's the coach on the field. I think that helps a lot. And, and Patrick Mahomes gets involved, but I don't think Patrick Mahomes has the, uh, flexibility to change plays now that I think Tom Brady clearly has in terms of how he wants to run this play and call audibles and do those things. And what better to have someone who's in their 10th Super Bowl not going to be, uh, you know, worth, the moment is not going to be too much for Tom Brady. <laughs> Let's keep it going in the NFL here. Um, so the world got kind of ignited uh, late late um, over the weekend. Matt Stafford, nobody saw this coming. Everyone's been talking about where is Deshaun Watson going to go, and we had mentioned on this show a couple of times there could be 12 quarterbacks changing changing scenery this offseason. Matt Stafford going to L.A. to play for the Rams, and the uh, Lions are going to get back Jared Goff, of course, two firsts and a third. And one thing that is a little shocking to me, Ira, is that it, this seems very polarizing. There's a lot of people, oh, the Rams just fleeced them. They, they got a huge upgrade. And there's the Detroit people who are saying, this is great. You know what I mean? We, we got a couple of first-round picks for a guy who wanted to leave anyway. Why can't a trade be a win for both teams? Because that's how I feel on this. I think if you're a fan of either team, you should be pretty happy with what transpired. This is a lot to break. I, again, I agree with you 100%. I think this is a great win for the Lions. I think this is a great win for the Rams. There is, I'm not, I think it's going to help. It's exactly what each team, the Lions are in total rebuild mode. They get draft picks. Stafford wanted out. They, he, he wanted out and they, they figured they didn't want him. He's 32. It, it, if he was younger, maybe they could build around him. And if he was, so it just, it was a perfect time for them to get something for him. And, it, and they worked out well. I mean, he has a good relationship with the Lions. A good, the, the town loves him, everything like that. So I think it was a smart move for them. And then also, I think it was a great move for, for in terms of bringing in Goff because Jared Goff was a number one draft pick and he's younger. He's six years younger. Yeah. And who knows if we get another Ryan Tannehill situation where he can sort of get his, you know, come back. I mean, he's he's won three playoff games. He took a team to the Super Bowl. If I'm going I'm to show you his numbers, the numbers are not that, you know, they're different. St- we we are viewing a stat, Matthew Stafford as a much better quarterback than Jared Goff. I don't know I, if he is. I think, he's, I think he's a better quarterback. I don't know if the gap is enormous, but it's clearly enormous in what the Rams want and the Rams are a win now and they don't care about the first round pack fix. They, they've given up. They haven't had their 2017 to the Titans, 18 to the Pats, 19 to the Falcons, 20 to Jacksonville, 21 to Jacksonville, 22 to the Lions, 23 to the Lions. They, they don't care about these draft picks. But, you know, to show you about this, why I think this trade is good, and you would say, well, what did Iris say about the Houston Rockets trade with the Brooklyn Nets? Mm-hmm. Let me explain something. The Brooklyn Nets gave picks away up to like 2027, 20, 2028, when these players aren't even going to be on the team. So this is completely different yeah, it's not in terms of, no. I mean, that just shows you how insane the Brooklyn trade was, because they're getting things. I mean, this, we're only talking to 2023. The Nets are still trade going to be trading five years after 2033. So let, let's talk more about this trade, how it went down, and just, you know, 
I, I think what you said is, is important. I don't think that Stafford is a massive upgrade over Jared Goff. I think he's an upgrade for sure. But is winning one extra game or two a season that that upgrade? Or is are, is this a Super Bowl team now? And, and that's what I'm a little torn on. But let's talk about the trade, how this went down, and what the ramifications could be. Well, I think, you know, when it went down, the more after it went down, then I realized, oh, this should have happened. Like, there, this should have been sense. 95%. And one of the reasons is that Brad Holmes was the Rams director of scouting. He drafted Jared Goff uh, six, five years ago. Mm-hmm. So he, he's the one who dra- chose to make the decision to draft him. Well, now he's the general manager of the Lions. Stafford wanted to go to the Rams. So when Stafford said, I want to go to the Rams, at least, now, now remember, Holmes is now with the Lions saying, I know Goff. I think Goff I still has, <laughs> I liked him. I'm the one who picked him and I'm going to bring him there. And I think that works. Now, they're asking, well, why the number one picks? I'm surprised with the picks. Well, the reason is Goff actually makes $27 million this year and then $22.5 next year, whereas Stafford is at $20 million and $23. So there's an $11 million. Actually, the better player is Stafford, but the higher contract mm-hmm. is Goff's contract. So the Rams are in salary cap. They have a big problems with that they needed that extra money the lions don't have a lot of big name free agents so they really they could take on that extra salary that's why this trade make perfect sense because the lions took on the salary but they got the quarterback in golf and who knows when he's 28 years old after two years in this lineup this might this might be the perfect situation for him now stafford went to the went to number one overall pick 2009 from georgia and he's 30 33 years old but his first year before he got there, they were 0 and 16, and then he was 2 and 14. But then his 2011, they were 10 and 6. Then he then he was 11 and 5 and got the first round. So the question is, but then he had all these years where they were 7 and 9, 9 and 7, 9 and 7, 3 and 12, 5 and 11. And the point is, well, if Matthew Stafford is so good, why is why are these bad records? Like I say about Deshaun Watson to some extent. Yeah. And the point is, well, his teams was terrible. They had the worst running game in the history of the NFL over that period of time. They really and so there was a situation where even though but he was number four all time in passing yards per game behind Mahomes and Drew Brees. He's had a, had a, he's durable. 136 straight starts before he got hurt last year, and and even this year where I give him um, so much credit is he was hurt and injured. He didn't have to play. He knew he's probably going to leave. And he's playing the last two weeks of the regular season. They're totally out of the playoffs. That just showed me, hey, look, my job is to play football. I'm going to go play football. So I really like that aspect of it. And uh, he owned a house in Newport. They call it an estate in Newport, California. (laughs) So it just fits well. He's from Texas. And I, I think one of the greatest things I saw was that Clayton Kershaw and Matthew Stafford, they, they didn't just play when they grow up playing you know together like ones in the same city. They actually played from six years old on on the same team. It's crazy. Every team, baseball, basketball, football, anything they did, dodgeball. They said they did everything. And and Kershaw's like Stafford could have done. Stafford's a much better baseball player than I would ever be a football. I was a center. And uh, but they said <laughs> Stafford probably could have gone and been like a college baseball player. And that's why they interviewed Kershaw and they've been lifelong friends. So now it's going to be so cool. Like if you get if you go on YouTube and look at the video of Kershaw and Stafford talking about each other and the fact that they've been playing. I think that two kids from Highland Park outside where AT&T stadiums in Dallas grew up and now one of them, you know, they're both two of the best players in their sports, football, and they're in L.A., which is the quarterback of the Rams and the star pitcher for the Dodgers. Yeah, that worked out uh, pretty well, and things keep trending upward for L.A. I run sports, true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Um, let's go. Uh, what else do you have on, on Well, this? I just want to say about Goff is his rookie season under Jeff Fisher, he was 0-7. But then when Sean McVay came in, remember his first two seasons, he won the division title in the Super Bowl. Then he signed that four-year, $134 million contract. But Sean McVay just fell out of love with him the last couple of years. And even when they went to the Super Bowl, if you remember, they were more of a running team. They didn't really pass yeah. that ball in that Super Bowl. And it was at the Super Bowl where they lost to Brady. It was like Jimmy Garoppolo, how yeah, they treated it, him it was in that where, playoff. And, then the la- and this year you saw in the Seahawks playoff walks, they started John Wolford over Goff when Goff said, I'm healthy. And then it only took Wolford to get Wolford, who was an undrafted free agent, yeah. to get knocked down with a concussion and then Goff came into the game so clearly Sean McVay was tired of Goff didn't want to have Goff and and the, the problem with Goff has been the turnovers he over the last two seasons led the second in the NFL with 38 turnovers not just we saw him in that Dolphins game the fumbles it's it's stupid turnovers at the interceptions the fumbles mm-hmm. and I think that's one like they just wanted to make that change and they felt Stafford coming in there with this team is going to be that that next step to win the Super Bowl and I and I agree with the, the Ryan Tannehill is like this there should be like a textbook on what happens with anyone. When he was at Dolphins, they just said, ah, you're done with you, Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill's getting paid $100 million now. No running game, no receivers, and no line. Right, and Jared Goff, <laughs> and, and, and they're with Devontae Swift, who runs with the running back for the Lions, this might work out for him. And I really think the pressure, everybody was yelling at him, and, and the coach was yelling. I think this is a, he needed a change. 
I think this can work out for him, and I think it can work out for Stanford. I, I agree with you. I think that Goff is mentally broken on that team, and <clears throat> it doesn't help that Sean McVay and the GM are both at, like, we don't want you anymore. <laughs> It, it, it was such a good situation because Matt Stafford wants out, and they want done with Jared Goff. I think win-win uh, on all sides for this one. So here we are, Ira, and that's what they, everyone thought was going to happen, was Deshaun Watson get moved somewhere. It hasn't happened yet, and I, I, I'm I, starting to debate if something is going to happen because now the new you know the new heads of the, of the Texans are saying, he ain't going nowhere. It's not really – he could not play also, but that's not going to bode well for him. But this situation rolls on. Well, in 220, he signed a four-year, $156 million contract, $110 million guaranteed. Now, that was with before – that was like seven, eight months ago. So he signs the contract. He gets a no-trade clause. Well, now – but they already traded DeAndre Hopkins. So he knew what the situation was. Now, what he's concerned is this Jack Easterby. And I was doing some research on Easterby, and he is a little weird in terms of – that he was like a chaplain for the South Carolina basketball team. And then he somehow got involved with New England was a t- – team chaplain for New England, then he was the character coach and worked with the players, and he worked his way up in New England and doing that, and then he somehow, he got a job in Houston, and now he's suddenly running the team. So he and Bill <laughs> O'Brien were sort of running the team, and O'Brien left, and now Jack Eastbury has all this power, and really it's like, where's your background? And there's a lot of problems with him. Now, a lot of players love him. He's more of a motivator and a speaker with, with, with these, and so there's a, there's a point. You have some people that think he's great and some people that don't like him. Certainly Watson is the one who doesn't like him, but he hired Nick Casario, the GM. He hired David Cully, is now the coach of the team. And and now the question is, well, Watson initially was upset. I He said, I didn't have control when it's texting, that I thought I was going to have control of the general manager, helping to pick the general manager. Now, we went over this. There's nobody. Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady clearly has, they have no power on who no. players are, the general manager or whatever. The, zilch. And it's hard to think, even you watch the last dance, Michael Jordan, he didn't tell Jerry Krause what to do. So we're talking the only player that I can think of that had power over the general is LeBron. And there's no one who compared to Sean Watson to Le, LeBron James. I mean, clearly, and even LeBron, when he has this power, he's like, oh, I'm I'm just playing. I, I, don't, I don't know what goes on. Yeah. Like he denies it because you don't want to be known to have the power. Plausible denial. Yeah, because people are going to come and say, hey, I want some more money. I want I want this. I want these things. So that's what that's what he's going to be one certain thing. So that's where I think you don't want to have that power. You don't want to have that responsibility. You want to be able to you want to just say, don't ask me. I'm not the general manager. Go from there. But really, on what I'm thinking for Watson, the Dolphins and the Jets seem like in San Francisco. And maybe now the Colts seem to be the, the favorites for him. We uh, do have our caller on the line here. It's Nick Bogdanovich, headlines maker at William Hill Sports. Uh, Nick, thank you so much for uh, getting on the line with us, and we appreciate you joining Iron Sports. Oh, I'd love to be here. Thanks, Nick. Um, really appreciate it. Um, so you open the line uh, at three for the Super Bowl, and, and I saw that, the, you know, I was at the game when Tampa played uh, Kansas City two, about two months ago. I was at that game, and that line was three. So really nothing has changed, you know, <laughs> between the two months between, uh, between that game and when, when they actually won by three and then this game. So talk about in terms of, like, how this line was set and the thinking of making it at three and why it stayed at that three. Yeah, no, we thought three was a good starting point. Uh, we opened three, and all the early money was for Kansas City. Uh, so we went to three and a half, and at that point, a lot of professional money came in on Tampa Bay. Uh, obviously, the biggest key number in the NFL is three, so when you get on and off of three, got to be a little bit careful. But all the professionals gobbled up to plus three and a half, so we went back to Kansas City three, and right now we're Kansas City minus three, minus 20. Uh, yeah, about two hours ago, we took a half a million dollar bet on the Chiefs minus the three, minus the 20. So we're pretty high on the Chiefs right now. But there's, you know, still five, six days left and uh, plenty of betting left in this cycle. So in terms of the money, do you think that the most the money right now, you say, is coming in on the Chiefs right now or, or Tampa Bay? Yeah, right now, the Chiefs we're pretty high on the Chiefs. But, uh, you know, I think that can change. I, I, I still think there's going to be plenty of Tampa money especially on Tampa on the money line in the Super Bowl. Uh, t- they tend to bet the money line as opposed to taking the points with the dog. That way they can bet, in this case, 100 would win 145 instead of betting, you know, 110 to win 100 at plus three. So, uh, and, and plus Tampa's coming off two really good games. They won at New Orleans, one at Green Bay, and they, they rewarded a lot of wager, uh, better backers in those games. So uh, there, there, there'll be plenty of Tampa money. 
And then I guess a lot of my callers have been, <laughs> before they knew you were coming on, was going to ask, they want to know this question. When you think, when you're doing the line of a game, you handicap it and say who's going to win. And then you, did you, do you do that first and then you weigh in, like, where do you think the money's going? And that's, and you just set the line there? Or do you actually put, you know, then factor in every, the other, the other idea, well, who do you think is going to, you know, put the bet on each side of the game? Yeah, you know, the first thing we do is uh, come up with a raw number. Uh, each team has a power rating. So we'll come, you know, say the Chiefs have got a power rating of 20 and Tampa Bay a rating of 15. So Kansas City's five. Then you give a, you know, point for being at home. Now you're at four. Just an example like that. And then you start factoring in the other variables. Uh, have they played? Uh, current form? Injuries? Which team would draw public money? Uh, things of that nature. And. Basically, we wound up uh, back to where we were, like you said, in the regular season game, right around the three mark. We're talking to Nick Bogdanovich of William Hill, the headlines maker there. And another question a lot of my callers are interested in is, like, the coordination between the other lines. I mean, there's certainly competitors in the industry that take bets. I mean, your website is the easiest site to go to, so I encourage everyone to use William Hill Caesars. It's phenomenal. But in terms of when you look in terms of, like, you don't see your line is at three. No one's at, like, five or six. It doesn't go like that in terms of, so how much coordination do you have in terms of looking at the other lines that the other bookmakers are making? Yeah, no, I mean, we uh, obviously in the year 2020, we got uh, technology, we got services that have lines from books all in Las Vegas, New Jersey, you know, out in the far place islands, England. So we know what we know what else is out there. Uh, where we want to put ourselves in that market is, is our call. But yeah, you'll especially in the NFL, you'll see. You'll rarely see uh, more than a half point dif- difference in most books because uh, a professional will straighten you out real quick with a off number. But, you know, in, in college basketball and college totals, you'll see point and half two off. But in, in the NFL, usually everyone's very, very near the same number. And then the one thing that's I, you know, everyone finds fun for the Super Bowl is is actually the prop bets. And so, like, we're down here in Miami or in West Palm Beach, and so we're interested. You had one prop. Well, Tyreeky Hill have more receiving y- yards than the Miami Heat points on this one game. And so that's an interesting bet. But these aren't just, like, fun. Like, these are – this is significant in terms of the total haul for the for, for you guys in terms of what happens with, with these many prop bets that you have. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, we could win booking the game – but if we, if the props go south for us, we could have a losing day. That's how big it is. It used to be that it was like two, three percent of the entire day, all the props. Now it's up to forty, fifty percent. So, yeah, no, the props is huge. Uh, the handle's enormous. The risk is enormous, and it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. And uh, we get to talk about them for about 10 days. <laughs> Do you put limits on props? Is there a limit in terms of, like, betting? Like, I, I think the funniest prop is the heads versus tails. I couldn't believe that tails has won 29 out of the uh, – they're, they're leading 29-25. But tails has won six out of the last, last seven Super Bowls, which is amazing. Yeah, we use a dollar five each way uh, just to encourage action on that prop. And each year I'm amazed at how much money we write to that prop. You think <laughs> you just grab someone out in the sports book and say, let's do it juice-free, but – uh, you know, we write like six figures every year to that prop. It, it, it utterly amazes me that people will bet the coin toss, but they do. And so much in betting right now is the in-game betting. And I know that, like, when I'm in Vegas, and, and I, I just it's so exciting to when, during the halftime odds and, and when the odds change, it, you know, you during the game are just setting, you know, it, you must be going crazy trying to reset, you know, resetting lines the entire game. So you're totally, you're more involved in the game than maybe Belichick, and, I mean, not Belichick, but uh, uh, Arians in and, and, and the game in. You know, actually, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm away from the in-play. Uh, the in-play, when it first came over, was like 2-3% of our business. Now it's like 30% of our business. So in-play is the, the latest rage. Uh, but we have a, a separate department that runs in-play. We uh, import all of our uh, odds from our, our headquarters in Leeds, England. Uh, it's all based on algorithms. Uh, and we manage the risk. Uh, you know, obviously we take 2,000, 5,000, 10,000, 50,000, whatever. We manage the risk, but they supply all the numbers. So uh, it's an ever-changing numbers. It never comes down. Some people do in-play just on uh, timeouts or half times, but we do it th- throughout the entire game. It just keeps changing, changing, changing. So, uh, yeah, lots of uh, mathematical studies to, to make those algorithms. 
Is it going to be hard to do with the delays that they do on games? I mean, I get frustrated from a simple fan perspective as I'm one of the last people that likes to listen to the radio when, I, when I'm at the game and I hate the delay. Is, there, is that a difficulty in terms of just do a play-by-play basis when you're going to have that, you know, ten, sometimes it's like a 10-second delay, I think, before people can see it on TV from what actually happened in the stands? Yeah, no doubt about it. There is like a seven-second delay because, you know, obviously if you have someone in the stadium, you could – you know, you could just absolutely destroy the in-play. But, so it is on a seven-second delay or so. But uh, uh, I tell you, I, I, I haven't been able to participate in it. But uh, from the people who do, uh, once they start betting in-play, they, they don't go back to pre-match. They stay with in-play. They, they, they enjoy it more. It's just, uh, you know, more, uh, more of a puzzle to put together. And then one last question. I know you're so busy. This is, of course, your busiest time of the year. Nick Vadovich of William Hill, uh, headlines maker. We were just finished talking about Matthew Stafford and going to the Rams. And I, I'm always intrigued by the future bets and the changes that, that that did with the Rams in terms of their odds to, to win the Super Bowl for the 2022 Super Bowl and, and how that had an effect in terms of how you made those lines. Because I, I know that there was some movement on that. Yeah, you know, we had the Rams like around 15, 16 to 1. Uh, and when he, when he got traded, a, a real professional we respect took the 15 to 1 on the Rams. So we lowered him to 10 to 1. You know, the million-dollar question is, well, can Stafford stay healthy? Does he still have gas left in the tank? Uh, obviously, the Rams think so. So, and, and the professional who bet the Rams at 15 to 1 thinks so as well. So they got all the other p- uh, pieces and puzzles. Stafford gives them some good quarterback play. They just may be in the Super Bowl next year. And what is the biggest bet you have? So you said you had a half a million dollar bet. And what do you expect in terms of like the largest bet you'll take for the for the Super Bowl? You know, I think we'll write a seven figure wager, uh, but it better happen soon because uh, wagering seven figures, you got to wire into money, and it's you know cumbersome, and there's some you know some. But you know, you never know on a strip property when someone gets hot on a baccarat table or a blackjack table and runs uh, their their uh, bank into a, a big number. They just sometimes they just trot right on over the window and, and plunk the chips down. So you never know. But I think we will write a seven-figure bet before it's all said and done. I have friends who do that for like a thousand and two thousand. I don't know if I can do a million, but that's uh, that's very good. But Nick, this, thank you so much for coming on Iron Sports. I really appreciate it, and best of luck in terms of the Super Bowl. I really appreciate you coming on. Oh, it was my pleasure, guys. Enjoy the game. Thank you. Great stuff from Nick Bogdanovich from William Hill Sportsbook here on Iron Sports. It's crazy. I mean, that job is just something else. I, I don't know if I would stress. Like, I stress as a better. I wonder how I'd feel making the lines and knowing one wrong decision could cost my company a fair amount of money here. Right. I mean, I guess, I mean, my old question, I didn't want to get into the other things. I mean, he's, we're so fortunate to have him on uh, the show, so I didn't want to get into, but I was intrigued in terms of like even college basketball, like how do they know these games? A lot of people I know who bet a lot, make a lot of money like on college, but like the sports that people aren't betting as much because yeah. usually someone like the lines maker, he's involved in the Super Bowl lines and the football and the NFL, but in some of these college games that aren't that important that people like maybe as a junior lines maker make that so then that's what something happens and then they'll hit the over under at 230 on on the button and I'm like how do these people do that Iron Sports True Oldies channel we had just about 10 minutes so we got to get to uh, Dow uh, Maxville so we gotta hurry up here a little bit but uh, let's go to NCAA if we're done with Deshaun Watson and um, talk about the Senior Bowl well it's sort of like we call it NCAA but it really is NFL and the point what I wanted to bring is that it's like we all know that the quarterbacks are Trevor Lawrence uh, Kyle Wilson, uh, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Mac Jones of Alabama, and Kyle Trask. The top six quarterbacks are really set. What the Senior Bowl was interesting for in Mobile, Alabama, they've had it since 1951, is exactly what were some of these other quarterbacks. You saw the 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. These are quarterbacks, could they break up? Could they somehow jump into the third round or fourth round? Are they going to be more like, mm-hmm. I don't know, fifth and sixth round picks and like a, that aren't going to make a, a major stake? And I mean, I watched the game, and it was uh, Brian Flores, the national team. It's so hard to remember who was the national, who was the American. There's not, and Matt was going against Matt Rule, uh, who was co- the Carolina coach. Um, Sam Ellinger of Texas was there. He had a night. He was only in there for one drive, and he had a nice drive, but four for ten for 42 yards. Uh, Felipe Franks, who we know from Florida, went uh, to Arkansas. He he didn't. He struggled in this game. I don't think he looked that great. And Ian Book only played a little bit from Notre Dame. He didn't look so good. And Kellen Mond won the MVP. Um, he's the one I saw at Texas A&M when I was down in the Orange Bowl. Uh, he some, missed some passes earlier. But he, had, uh, he ended up having 13 for 25, 173 yards, 
some nice touchdown passes. I don't think he did anything in this game that's going to elevate him into a top six over Trask or anything like that. Um, someone who is intriguing that we hadn't seen this year is Jamie Newman. Jamie Newman was at Georgia, transferred, Wake Forest transferred, he was at Wake Forest, transferred to Georgia, then sat out the whole year for COVID. And this is so he, people hadn't seen him play all year. And I hear a lot of people have him ranked number seven. He looked horrendous, fumbling the really? ball. You looked at someone who really wasn't – he hasn't played all year, so it's difficult. He hasn't played almost in two years of football, but he didn't look good, and, and I, I don't know why someone would draft him as the seventh quarterback. Uh, Michael Carter of North Carolina running back when a game that nobody could run was unbelievable. He had this one run where he carried the entire team, whatever National America, whatever team he's on, from, for like five yards into the touchdown, eight carries for 60 yards. Of all the people, I think he should have won the MVP, but I really like Michael Carter. I think I could see him being a, you know, in fantasy football next year, Michael Carter for North Carolina. Let's see where he goes. I, I'm liking this stuff. Let's go to um, golf here on Iron Sports. And Ira, so I played golf uh, yesterday, and all anyone on the course was talking about was Patrick Reed and his controversy. He did go on to win, though, um, and, and with a very impressive win at Torrey Pines. Well, I mean, we can – Patrick Reed shot – Patrick Reed. Yeah, Patrick Reed shot a uh, uh, 14 under par, his ninth tour win. He's the 2018 Masters winner. He beat uh, Finau, had a nine under, Shoffley nine under, Hovland nine under, Rom eight under, McElroy six under. Uh, Spieth missed the cut, and this is like his third missed cut, and, and, and Brooks now has missed three cuts for the first time in his career, and Bubba Watson missed the, the cut. Reed, he shared the first round lead, he's one shot after two, the second round, and then tied going to the third round. And then in the final round, he was tied, but the key was on the sixth, he, he actually had a 40-foot foot eagle on six to take him to 12. Hovland was hanging around there a little bit, but then he had four bogeys. But no one is caring how this tournament works because it all comes down to the controversy on the 10th hole. When Patrick Reed, when I was watching this live, actually, when Reed hit his tee shot it, and it bounced. Now, remember, there's no fans, no thing. And the ball bounced on TV, but nobody saw it. He goes up to the ball and it's, uh, it's, in, it's in the rough. And he asked the volunteer, did my ball bounce? And the red volunteer goes, no, it didn't bounce. So then he goes, it looks embedded to me. So that means he picked, the, he picked the ball up. So he's holding the ball and then he drops it down and then he brings a rules official over and says, look, my ball went in there, it was embedded. Now I want to do a drop. Is that okay? The rules official said, and she said it didn't bounce. It, so it, it couldn't, it didn't bounce and it didn't bounce. It went straight in and the course was soft. So it was a soft course and they, and so it was, that's where they were playing with actually lift in place where you actually pick the ball up and bring it down. Well, nobody at that point thought there was that controversy because people weren't really noticing that the ball did bounce, and it's hard to have a ball in bed. Now, I, people said it's, like, impossible. I don't know if it's impossible on a wet course for a ball to bounce and then embed. It wasn't... Then it's not going to happen. It's not? Okay, so Mike's <laughs> telling me it's not happening. But anyway, so that... Not off a of bounce. <laughs> then, then everything broke. Everything went crazy. Now, he kept playing, and people were talking about it. He finished. Now, he didn't play well that Saturday the rest of the time. He still stayed in the lead. But then the question is, when they were asking, he's like, well, and over there, I went, the ball was embedded. I lifted it up. And now people are saying he shouldn't have done that. He's not allowed to pick the ball up. But then the PGA Tour said, yes, you are. We want fast play. Like the idea is we don't want to call the rules official every time. He thought it was embedded. He showed. Now, the, his playing partner did not come over. He just said, look, it looks embedded. It didn't. She said, bounce, can I pick it up? And the playing partner said, yeah, lift it, pick it up. So the rules official came over. Then afterwards, they gave the PGA gave him total pass. Now, Shoffley and all the other players are all mad because of his Back in the Hero World Challenge, he raked his uh, he raked the uh, sand trap yeah. before the ball to prove his lie. At Georgia, he has his reputation of cheating, and that brought up. So there's a lot of it. I think any other player, this would have made a big deal. Patrick Reed, it was a huge deal. And so, but he was interviewed and talking. It wasn't like he went hiding. He went on every interview and explained exactly what happened. So this became the controversy. Well, then the PJ Tour came out and they showed McElroy on 18. This is an hour later, things almost the exact same thing. Now they didn't show that shot live on TV, but then the PGA came out and said, look, McElroy hit the ball, the ball bounced, it went in, he came over and said it plugged, his playing partners walked right by, he goes, I'm lifting and taking a drop. So he just took a drop there. Now, no one's saying, well, McElroy, he's impeccable, he's great. Mm -hmm. Like I'm saying, is that's why this is all, a, like Patrick Reed, whatever he does, and people are really on Patrick Reed all day oh, he long. Oh, he constantly. And I, but on this one, I mean, I have to give a guy the benefit of the doubt. Like, I, I think that he has, they were, they, you're, the rules are you're allowed to lift the ball if you think it's embedded. You're allowed. They do not want to call the rules official over. Now, they want to change the rule. They change the rule. But the PJ has totally backed him up on this. So I don't know. I mean, I think, yeah, it's Patrick Reed, and he's now involved in another controversy. However, I'm giving him the benefit of 
doubt. If it wasn't for the internet and everyone hating him, this would be a non-issue. Right. It's the fact that everyone can watch it in slow-mo and make their own assessments and then tweet about it always causes issues. Uh, We got just about, let's say, five minutes until we got to get to to Dow Maxville here. NBA, just real quick, the Heat have not been looking good, Ira, but they haven't been at full strength, so I'm going to give them a pass. Oh, you got to give them. They're 6-12, but Jimmy Butler's plebiscite almost the whole, now Tyler Hero's going to be out. I mean, they have just been a mess in terms of what they're trying to do. Now, they'll play the the Wizards now, the two games in a row. We'll get a chance to see tonight, and then, oh, they play Charlotte tonight, and the Wizards two games, and then Knicks on Sunday, but they better get healthy. I mean, again, they just have to make the playoffs, just get in it, but they this is one of the teams that don't don't just hold it against them if the record's bad. They really have been playing with players that are not going to be on this team two months, three months from now. So, And uh, Lakers had an interesting game. The Lakers played Sixers, and they lost by a last shot to Tobias Harris. And then against Boston, that was an exciting game where they won uh, on a last second. They won on the shot, and then Boston missed a shot at the end. The Lakers look fantastic. I mean, as much as I don't want LeBron to win another title, I mean, they are clearly the favorite to win. They look uh, LeBron's going to be the end. Probably he's playing at MVP level. I think Davis is playing well. Schroeder's addition was great. Uh, the Clippers had the best record because Kawhi and Paul George are actually playing well. So everything that we thought was going to happen last year is actually happening this year. And the Nets, as we talked about last week, I mean, they're giving up. If you want to see scoring, uh, they have the worst. It's like the record since Durant came there, since Harden came. They have the worst defense in the history of the NBA, and they have the best offense in the history of the NBA. Who could have saw that? So coming? it's it's just a toy. <laughs> and they lost to Washington, and they blew a six. They blew a five point lead with ten seconds. It's only happened like six times out of twenty thousand times. When Beal hit a three, they inbounded the ball, and Westbrook then hit another three, and they lost by one on they, how you blow a five-point lead with 10 seconds to go. But that's the Nets. Let's head to uh, baseball quick. We'll have Dow Maxville in just a moment. So it doesn't happen often, Ira, but not a single player inducted into the Hall of Fame. We talked about it. Chilling, uh, this is everybody for different reasons. I mean, it's like there's now Pete Rose for gambling. Now Kurt Chilling, who is a six-time All-Star, three-time World Series champ, the best wielding percentage in the postseason, three-time Cy Young runner-up. He was at 71% the year before he had 1%. He's not getting in because of political issues uh, in terms of his tweets and what he says, and he's controversial. Um, again, has nothing to do. He didn't tweet when he was a baseball player. He didn't really have any issue when he was a baseball player. So he's at 71% with coming into his final year. Roger Clemens, seven-time Cy Young. When you say seven-time Cy Young, it's like insane to think. Yeah. 11-time All-Star, 354 wins, 4,600 uh, strikeouts. You know, actually, he was tried and acquitted on any claim that he said yeah. he used steroids. So the point is that we're all saying he used steroids because McNamee, his trainer, said it, but he's at 61%. Doesn't look like his one more year has a chance. And Bonds, 14-time All-Star, 7-time MVP, 8-time, not only MVP, 8-time Gold Club and 12-time uh, uh, home run, you know, ch- home run champion, 762 home runs. And his he only got, he, he was never found to violate a test either. So these guys are in, and that's one of my biggest problems is that next year you're going to have the David Ortiz, A-Rod, of course, who has all his problems, but Ortiz has an issue about whether he has steroids. And then you have Carlos Beltran in the fall next year about the cheating with the, yeah. the, the garbage cans. And what you're going to have is Scott, I mean, really, are you going to have a Hall of Fame of Scott Rowland, Omar Vizquel, Todd Helton? Is that what Hall of Fame is going to be? If you don't have all the good players in it, it's a joke. I've thought it was a joke for years, and that'll continue. Speaking of a joke, Ira, <laughs> you know, I texted you immediately when this happened, and I said, now that the Mets have Steve Cohen, the worst franchise to root for has to be the Colorado Rockies. You snap responded, Pirates. And you're absolutely right. I completely forgot about the Pirates, as most baseball fans do. But being a Rockies fan is tough, and Nolan Arenado, who's done nothing since he came in this league except for win gold gloves, play MVP caliber, and be a great guy, is headed away. Yeah, when you look at his statistics, from 2015 to 2019, Nelson Aldo... Arenado had between 27 and 42 home runs, hit between 290 and 315, and he's a three times home run leader, four times Silver Slugger award, but also an eight time at their Every base year, gold, gold glove. Gold. So you're, he's really <laughs> one of the best players in baseball. I mean, he's been in the top um, eight in MVPs five straight years. I mean, last year he had a bad year, but his contract, the way they did this contract, so the Rockies traded him the Cardinals, so we're going to see him here now at Roger Dean Stadium when the Rockies traded him, but they're paying him $50 million. So they're actually adding $50 million to the contract. So he's all, the, the Cardinals are only paying him till 2027. 
27, 23 million a year, which considering that Machado is making 30 and Bryce Harper's making 30, I'd rather have Arenado than those guys. And, and they're only paying him 23. What a move by the Cardinals. Brilliant. They, they keep claiming that they're going to sign these guys, keep them, build around them, and they get shipped out of town 18 months later. It's a, being a Colorado Rockies fan has got to be pretty rough. But, but I think Pirates being are a, worse. But being a Cardinal fan, I mean, that is a great move for them. I mean, this, they were looking, I mean, again. They, the NL Central's wide open, and now they're about to blow it open with Nolan Arenado. Yeah, that was, it was a great move for them. Let's get to uh, Dal Maxville here on Iron Sports. This is Iron Sports, 95.9, We have Dow Maxville on the line. Dow had a 16-year career in the major leagues and also a career in terms of being in management, in terms of the general manager of the uh, St. Louis Cardinals and working with the Atlanta Braves. And we're having Dow on to talk about um, someone he knows pretty well is, is Hank Aaron. And Dow, thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. Oh, it's always fun to talk with you. Enjoy it. <laughs> so... I was when, before we got had this call. I talked to you, and you mentioned that you got to know you played against him for almost a dozen years, from I think fifty four to seven, sixty four to seventy six, sort of like you sixty two to seventy five. But you actually worked with Hank when you were uh, in the, with the Atlanta organization. That's right. I uh, I coached for uh, Joe Torre uh, at, with the Atlanta Braves uh, in uh, eighty two, eighty three, eighty four for three seasons, and. And Hank was uh, uh, an, a vice president of the ball club, I believe was his title. Uh, and and T- Ted Turner had a great deal of respect for uh, Hank and, and his uh, baseball knowledge. And uh, uh, quite often when we would have meetings uh, to discuss the ball club or uh, uh, the farm system or whatever, uh, Ted would get the coaching staff together and many times – uh, Hank Aaron was invited, and and let me tell you, Ira, when uh, when he was at those meetings, uh, as as you may have heard or know, he was uh, Hank was a very soft spoken guy, not uh, a, a loud, boisterous uh, guy in any way, but uh, when he said something, the room got real quiet, and uh, everybody listened and and paid attention. He was he was uh, just a uh, a very bright guy in addition to being the great hitter that everybody knows he was great ball player, not just great hitter, but great ball player that he was. He, uh, he was also um, a very bright guy and well-respected uh, throughout the game, uh, not just from the standpoint of his uh, uh, offensive and uh, defensive prowess. How did he work with the players? I know he was at spring training in, in terms of coming there. How did he, I mean, it's like we always talk about the person, if you, the most skilled at it, it's hard to teach it. But how was his relationship with some of the players in terms of going over hitting and everything else with the game? Well, you know, we, we had uh, several uh, hitting instructors that worked uh, for the organization, worked for the team and worked in the organization throughout the minor league system. But uh, Hank would be uh, around uh, quite often, and when he was, of course, any of the hitters uh, who were maybe struggling at the time or uh, just not seeing the ball real well, uh, you'd see them uh, seek Hank out. He Hank would never uh, uh, impose on them or go around the hitting instructors that the club had hired. Uh, he would wait for uh, uh, one, uh, be okay from uh, – the manager and uh, the hitting coaches to uh, go ahead and chat with the guys, and then he'd wait for them to come to him. and And uh, when they when they came to him and asked him for advice, it was always uh, good, solid, uh, uh, quiet advice. Uh, no screaming or hollering or jumping up and down. Just just a uh, a nice conversation about what they may, in Hank's opinion, what they may have been doing wrong at the time and how they might improve it. And I've heard so much about Hank in terms of he's just like just one of the guys. Like as much as he is this legend and larger than life, that when you're around him, he he was just he he just was he bonded with people in a in a personal way. Yeah, he was uh, he was uh, like I said before, uh, a, a quiet guy by nature. Uh, you know, wouldn't be the one to uh, jump out there and and start uh, jumping around, hollering and uh, saying and doing this or doing that or whatever, but uh, uh, extremely well-respected by everybody and uh, uh, just a pleasure to be around. I, I, I really enjoyed uh, 
the meetings where I knew Hank was going to be in attendance, uh, one, because I thought I might learn something from him <laughs> about handling people and uh, uh, dealing with people, but just uh, learn something from him uh, in general and uh, always enjoyed those meetings when he was present. So, Dow, you played 16 years in, in the major leagues. You had six home runs, and, and Hank had 755. So I guess you just a little, you know, you almost caught up to him, I guess. <laughs> well, you know, the way I look at it, the uh, the pitchers made more mistakes when he was hitting uh, than, than they did when I was hitting uh, Ira. If, uh, if you're going to believe that one, I'll tell you several more. Uh, but, uh, yeah, what a what a terrific uh career he had uh, you, you know he hit all the is well known for all the home runs of course but i'll tell you when we were playing against him when i was with the cardinals and we were playing against him uh you weren't so concerned about the home runs it's like you know he might come up in the seventh or eighth inning when they were down by a run with men on first and third and the next thing you know he hits a double to left center field and and you're down by a run now and uh, you're going to clubhouse afterward and you say to yourself well, why do we pitch to that guy why didn't we pitch around him he just uh, he was an rbi machine on top of on top of hitting his home runs and and being such a uh, a great hitter but just clutch i mean driving in runs all the time you uh it got to the point where when we'd have meetings playing the braves uh people would say let anybody in the lineup uh beat you but uh but hank aaron you know, Eddie Matthews, uh, Joe Adcock, whoever might have been there at the time, let them beat you, but don't let don't let Hank beat you because he will beat you. <laughs> and then I've been hearing a lot that his defense was, was very underrated. We hear about Willie Mays and the basket catches and the amazing plays in defensively, but they said that, that Hank Aaron is a, was a great defender, just didn't get the accolades that some of the other players in his time did. Well, I tell you, besides uh, defensive ability and a good, straight, accurate uh, arm, uh, you know, he had great speed on the bases, too. He was an excellent base runner. And just, hey, let's face it, just an all-round uh, great all-star player that every every team in the league would have would like to have somebody like Hank uh, in their lineup hitting third or fourth every day and, and playing uh, right field, left field, center field, wherever you might want to put him because he could probably have done uh, as good a job as anybody out there or better than most. He was all-round player and uh, uh but boy I, I remember he he beat us like a drum uh, so many times in late innings that just drive you crazy you know you you wanted to pitch around him or walk him or do something hit him you know do anything just don't let him uh drive in two or three runs and i'm not talking about with just his home runs you know i'm saying just that good a hitter that he he'd put the bat on the ball and hit it the other way and uh uh, just an outstanding hitter, and we we feared him. All of our pitchers, of course, feared him, and uh, except one, and one one pitcher didn't. Uh, Ira, I'll tell you, guy by the name of Kurt Simmons was a left-handed pitcher uh, <laughs> with with the Cardinals, and uh, I, I don't know if you were even going to bring this up, but uh, uh, one particular time in St. Louis, Simmons was pitching, and uh, Hank was hitting, and. Hank had a difficult time with Simmons for, for whatever reasons. He just had trouble hitting Kurt Simmons. Wow! So he got to the point where he was way up in the batter's box and would almost uh, take a step or two towards the mound, uh, hitting while he was out of the batter's box. Well, he did that one night in St. Louis and hit a ball uh, up on the uh, right field roof in uh, St. Louis, and uh, they called it the pavilion at the time, but hit it on the roof for a home run. And uh, our umpire behind the home plate, Chris Palacutis, a a very nice man and well-respected umpire, called Hank out for being out of the batter's box when he he hit the home run. Well, I mean, the, the Braves dugout exploded and screamed and hollered. Hank was very mild in his uh, complaints about it. But I think he knew he was out of the batter's box when he hit that ball because he was, um, he might've been halfway to the mound by the time he hit the ball. Yeah. But today, <laughs> today, everyone's out of the batter's box. I mean, the, 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 they wipe it down. You don't even know where the line is. The, the players, they, the, everyone is out of the batter's box. I, I guess so. But uh, I know back then it was, 
it was a no-no, and uh, you, uh, you know, and they called it. They and I was a little bit surprised. Uh, one because they called it, uh, like you say, nobody called things like that. But uh, particularly on a guy uh, like Aaron, uh, but maybe he called it on Aaron because he knew uh, he was such a class guy. He wasn't going to get on him and scream and rant and holler at him. And uh, but uh, <laughs> you know, I, I I can't even remember if we won or lost that ball game. Uh, I was, uh, as I recall, the game later on. I just remembered Hank um, being called out for hitting uh, the ball out of the batter's box and. And uh, uh, I, I, I have no idea whether we won the ball game or not. So, well, that's a great story. I mean, he probably has said that would have been in 756 home runs, not 55. So that was there. Uh, you go, there <laughs> you go. He had another one, and uh, I don't think he was ever called for that again that I've heard of. I know uh, Tim McCarver was our catcher at the time, and and he he uh, he told a story that that uh, the the previous at bat that Aaron had done the same thing, had had gone forward in the batter's box by a, a step or so, and but he popped up the center field. And Tim said, uh, Pelicuda said, you know, Tim, he was out of the batter's box when he hit that ball. He said, uh, but it was a fly ball to center field. He was going to be out anyhow, so uh, I, didn't, I didn't call it. But the very next at bat, I guess Chris was <laughs> looking for him to do it again. Because McCarver didn't have to call it out to him or say, "Hey, he was out of the box or whatever." Uh, Pelicudas called him out on his own. So, uh, just uh, he'd had another home run, as you say. So, what was it like? I don't know. Did you face him at all? Probably the year before when he was going after Roos' record. I mean, he, he got it in April the following year the, when he hit seven fourteen and seven fifteen. Uh, finished one short the year before, but do you do you remember? What like, year was what year was it? Uh, I really he did that. I'm sure I don't have that uh, recollection. Seventy three, seventy four. I, I got to pull that out. But I, I, was, I was I was probably in the American League at the time, so uh, I'd I'd been traded from the Cardinals uh, near the end of the seventy two season uh, to the Atlanta. Uh, sorry, to the uh, Oakland Athletics, and had spent. Uh, several years over there to finish up my career. So I probably did not face him that year or play against him that year, I should say, uh, that he uh, hit the home run. But do you remember people talk like it, it was, I guess, it just it like it was probably, you know, here's the record, this un, the unbreakable record. It must have been something where everyone was talking about in the game in, in terms of what it was and the galvanizing in terms of the significance of it. Well, it, you know, I, I probably uh, years before that, uh, maybe five, six years before that, uh, nobody was even thinking about that record being broken. And uh, then all of a sudden, there's this uh, this guy by name of Aaron who's uh, hitting home runs all the time, and and uh, he's coming along. And uh, it looks like he might be the guy uh, to, to to do that. And and of course he was. Uh, and you know, I, I tell you, I, not many people know you. You think home run guys that hit home runs and RBIs all the time? You, you know, they're six three, six four, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, two hundred pounds or whatever. Hank was uh, kind of a skinny guy when he came up. He was probably five eleven at most, and um, in his prime, probably weighed one hundred and seventy five, hundred and eighty pounds. He was not a big guy. He just had uh, a really great stroke and quick hands and. Uh, uh, just a fine all-round hitter. Wow, that was great. That was great. Um, and when you were with the Braves, I guess that was the that must have been such fun to to see his interaction with Joe Torre and just the whole up and working with the young players and, and how. And I guess the last question I want to ask you is the how the young younger players took to him in terms of being able to work with him and having such a resource like that uh, so close to them in the Atlanta organization because it was great how he said he, he wanted to be stay in baseball. You know, some players don't don't get involved, don't stay in baseball. You did, and he did also. Well, he, uh, you know, I, I I asked him a couple times uh, during that time I was coaching out there because he was around quite a bit, and uh, you know, he had a suit and tie on. He was the vice president and everything. And I looked at him one time and I said, "Hey, I think you'd rather have a uniform like I got on than that suit and tie you have on." And he looked at me and said, "You better believe that, buddy." <laughs> so uh, yeah, he he loved being on the field and around the. Uh, the players and uh, like you said, especially young kids, you know, they, they were always uh, 
uh, wide-eyed and and willing to learn and try anything and uh, for them to be able to talk to such a uh, a superstar and a superstar gentleman uh, like Hank was uh, uh, quite a thrill for him and I'm sure it I'm sure he helped uh, many young people in their careers. Well, Dow, I really appreciate you coming on and talking about Hank Aaron and giving us that insight. I really appreciate you coming on Iron Sports. Thank you so much. Okay, all right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. I absolutely love having Dow on this show because he just – listening to the passion in his voice you can tell he's just old gritty baseball and i love guys like that and we didn't get to talk about hank that much last week he passed away um just a couple of minutes before we went on air so let's hank aaron is uh, you know one of the best to ever do it and it's a real loss for the baseball community in general yeah and definitely in terms of his involvement with west palm beach and being in, in here and and spending so much time uh working at working and living and being contributing to youth sports in in west palm it was it's tremendous i mean he's touched so many people in his lives and it, it's a it hit a great life and it's a terrible loss all right Ira, you're on the spot super bowl six days away We'll be talking about it next Monday. What's your prediction on what goes down between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Bucks? 42-31 Tampa. Wow. And I think it's going to – and I really think the defense is – you're seeing Mahomes is going to throw a couple interceptions. I think you're going to see Tampa rush for about 150 yards. And uh, I think Tampa – I think it's, it's one of those games where Tampa might get down. But I think that eventually – I think the Chiefs offensive line, it's going to be like the, the wall that crumbles. And I think it's going to be difficult. And I think – and I'm really holding out hope that this Tampa defense is going to show – that I think finally they're gonna, the Chiefs are going to run against a defense that's going to stop them. I know it's hard to stop scoring 31 points. But uh, I think Tom Brady is going to get a seventh Super Bowl. So you're going to take up Nick Bogdanovich on the money line there and get plus 145 <laughs> by not – taking the points we'll see we'll see i need, i'm hoping to get the, the question is with his tickets i mean i have i'm certainly you can't you, you really hope to get lucky lucky to get in this game to go get tickets to the game this is one of the games i wish i you know you could you want to go to but uh very difficult i mean i think the get in price right now is around 7500 to 10,000 for the worst seat in the house it's the that's high, cheaper than i thought it's the highest super bowl <laughs> highest price in the history of almost any sporting event ever so um it's and it's probably going to go up higher um, but it's uh, just because there's limited seats, the fact that they're mm-hmm. playing at home with Tampa, the Kansas City fans travel, it's a big game, the weather's great. I mean, there's a lot of it's a perfect storm. It's a perfect storm for, <laughs> for the most expensive ticket ever. Are you going to try at least? See well, I, don't, I mean, look, if people come forward with tickets, I will. I'm not, that would be a situation where I'm able to, to go, but it, it doesn't seem like I, I, I'm not even holding out hope I'm going to go to the Super Bowl. So it's, uh, it uh, will, uh, I, as I said, the, for the one Super Bowl, you could go to seven NBA finals for the price of just going to one Super Bowl. You could go to seven. <laughs> seven games of an NBA final yeah. series and travel and that still is cheaper than what the one Super Bowl ticket would be. It, it's crazy, but it is going to be a great Super Bowl. I'll go the opposite. I think Kansas City wins by a touchdown. I, I would put it at about seven points. I, I, I think that because they didn't play great this season and toyed with a lot of people, I think maybe they're ready to, to let loose and really go for it. If I had to bet, I'm taking KC, and I'll lay the points if I have to. So we'll hopefully we talk about this next Monday well, night. We're definitely, <laughs> One of yeah. us will be right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going to be very exciting. Very exciting. Yeah, we are out of time. Thanks so much to Nick Bogdanovich of William Hill Sports. Also, Max Dalville for stopping by. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports.